Our scripture reading today is Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. But there will be no more gloom for who, who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious. By the way of the sea, on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. And those who live in a dark land, the light will shine upon them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with gladness of harvest, as men who rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders. The rod of their oppressors is at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning, fuel for the fire. For a child, for a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establishment and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Please join me in prayer. Father, we do come before you with hearts bowed to worship and praise our sovereign, holy God, the God that has all power, all knowledge, that will bring justice and peace in a rebellious world. Thank you, Father, for the gift of your Son, the gift of salvation through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. We pray that you would refresh our understanding and appreciation of our true hope in this Advent season. Father, as we sit here today, we admit that we are a needy people. You know the questions, you know the difficulties before we even ask. Father, we pray for your healing, your provision, your forgiveness, your grace. We pray that those things would spread through our little congregation as a testimony of your greatness. Thank you, Lord. Now as our pastor comes with the message that the Spirit has given him, we pray that you would open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts, that we would see Jesus. Father, we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning, IBC family. It's good to gather with you all once again. Um, I'm not sure about you. We may not uh, share uh, similar feelings on this, but um, at least for me, uh, I really look forward to gathering consistently or regularly, weekly with you. Uh, Our lives, I know, go a lot of different directions throughout the week, but I love the built-in time that has been around for millennia uh, that we gather together regularly for the sole purpose, ultimately, to glorify God. 
but ultimately to draw to be really reset and renewed in our focus on the things that matter most in life. And so it's good to be here with you all. Very glad that you're here. Um, as I mentioned last Sunday, we completed our series through the attributes of God that we began way back at the beginning of June, took us all the way to uh, just after Thanksgiving. And of course, as I shared with you at the end of that series, the intent behind that series was really to answer one very uh, important question for us all, and that is this, who is God? You see, we all have an idea about who God is. The real question is, is my perspective, is my understanding of God the biblical understanding of God, or is it a God in my own making, which all people have the propensity to do? And so we were seeking to answer to either solidify what we already knew about God and or to also uh, shape and reshape and refine what we thought we knew about God. After all, as I kind of mentioned before, what we think about God has eternal, eternal ramifications, has eternal implications for our life. Well, this morning we are beginning a new series, a much shorter series, not as long as the Attributes of God series, but we're beginning a much shorter series, but also seeking to answer an incredibly important question for us all, and that question is, who is Jesus? Again, who you say Jesus is can be the difference between eternal life and eternal death. So, in other words, it's important that we get Jesus right. It's important that we don't just go, oh, I think I have some vague idea or maybe a a quasi-biblical idea of who Jesus is. No, it's incredibly important, in fact, eternally important that you get Jesus right because if you get Jesus wrong, everything else falls in place in a bad way. But you get Jesus right and everything falls into place in an eternal, glorifying way. And so we're going to, this morning, we're going to answer this in a more, uh, in, a, in a very clear way. In fact, all through the month of December, which, by the way, we have just started Advent today. Today is the first day of Advent. I'm not sure if you realize that or not. It kind of changes the time every single year, but today is the first day of Advent. So I couldn't think that this could, I think this is a, a very timely question for us to not only ask, but to clearly and to confidently answer Again, the question, who is Jesus? And as we launch into our Advent season here as a church family, I think the first question we need to kind of solidify or clarify in our minds is because we can throw all these little like terms and and language out and not really know what we're actually talking about. When we say Advent, Advent literally means arrival. That's what the term Advent means. We are celebrating arrival. Of course, the question that follows is, the arrival of what? The, the arrival of who? What are we celebrating or who are we celebrating in this, under this whole umbrella term called Advent? Well, let me just tell you what you're not celebrating, though you still may be celebrating it. You're not celebrating the arrival of your Amazon package. I'm sorry to say. You may actually celebrate that, but that's not what Advent is all about No, Advent is the arrival and the celebration of a long-awaited promise. 
It's the arrival of a promise that was prophesied about thousands of years before it was even fulfilled. It's the arrival of a promised Messiah that would destroy the curse of sin and the curse of death because of sin and whose reign would last forever. Ultimately, Advent is the arrival of as Charles Wesley would write in his famous hymn, and we just sang it together, Thou Long Expected Jesus. Now the question that needs to be asked, and I might be preaching to the choir here, and that's okay. Sometimes we need to hear the things over and over and over again just to solidify what we think we know. But the question is, who is Jesus? We all have an idea about who Jesus is. The question is, what does the Bible say about Jesus? Again, many religions have a certain perspective of who Jesus is. Is he just a mere man who taught good things? Is he an actual prophet? Is he someone who represents God but not actually God? All religions have some idea or perspective or conclusion about Jesus. There are many theories proposed about who Jesus is. The question is, what does the Bible say? Because that is the source of our authority. The Bible is our source of everything that is right and true and everlasting. Well, let's listen to what the Bible says about who Jesus is. In fact, Jesus has multiple different names and titles that are attributed to him. In Genesis 3.15, for example, we see that Jesus is the seed of a woman. In Genesis 12.3, we see that Jesus is the offspring of Abraham. In Genesis 49, we see that Jesus is the tribe of Judah. And, Jesus, and, Gen, and Numbers 24, that he's, he is, Jesus is the greater prophet. He's greater than even the prophet Moses. We see that he is the son of David who will reign forever in 2 Samuel 7. David writes in Psalm 2, he is the Lord's anointed. He is the righteous sufferer. He is the king priest after the order of Melchizedek. He is Emmanuel which we know to mean God with us. He is the suffering servant of the Lord, Isaiah 53. He is the coming of the Son of Man, Daniel chapter 7. He is the babe born in Bethlehem, Micah chapter 5. All this preceded the fulfillment of the one who came, of the one who was promised. The question is, and then we get in Isaiah chapter 9 in our passage this morning, right? And our elder and chairman just read it for us this morning. Isaiah chapter 9. You can keep your Bibles open to that because we'll make reference to it in just a little bit. But we see that Jesus is also referred to as the greater Gideon, the king who is referred to by multiple different names. And Isaiah chapter 9, specifically in verse 6, we see four names that the Isaiah the prophet attributes to Jesus. Now, before we dive into these names, or we're going to really take one name every single Sunday, before we dive in, it's helpful to understand the context in which Isaiah the prophet is prophesying about. You see, in Isaiah chapter 9, we, we, see, we, we sometimes take or extract certain texts or passages out of their context and go, yeah, isn't that so great? But it's helpful to understand in what context And what was the condition, what was the social and political and spiritual climate going on during that time in which Isaiah spoke these words? 
We must understand that Isaiah, much like all the prophets, they were not men that came forward and preached a message that everybody wanted to hear. They oftentimes preached a message of discipline, of God's discipline, because of people's rebellion, specifically Israel and Judah's rebellion. And so what we see is that Isaiah the prophet, being faithful as a prophet, is also basically letting them know, guess what? The Assyrians and the Babylonians, they're going to come in, and life as you know it is going to change pretty dramatically. It's going to get rough, and not too many people are raising their hand going, yippee-skippy, that's great. I'm so glad to be hearing this message right now. No, they, they, they were not well-loved and accepted. You look at the prophet Jeremiah, for example. He was oftentimes thrown on the bus or literally in a well and left for dead because they did not like his message of rebuke and the message that God gave through him that They were going to be disciplined because of their rebellion. But we must also understand that in the climate of promised discipline, there was also a constant undercurrent of God's grace. You see, in the the, the context of discipline, God never divorces discipline from his grace. He is always seeking to redeem. He is always seeking to restore. He's never saying, you know what? I'm done with you. It's always to woo his people back into healthy, right fellowship with himself. And so on one hand, Isaiah the prophet says, things are going to get rough. People are going to get brutally killed. Families are going to get separated. The land is going to be plundered. The economy is basically going to disappear. In short, Israel, however you think of life, life as you know it is about to radically change. And it's in this context of chaos and crisis and loss that God speaks through his prophet. He speaks a message of hope, a message that rang that this is not how it all ends. That's always good news, isn't it? Sometimes when we're so focused on what's in front of us, we're like, man, this is rough. Is this how it is going to be perpetually? No, we see always in the prophetic scriptures that God says, this is not how it ends. There will be a time, but this is not the end of the story. Isaiah preaches a message of a promised promised redemption that God is going to provide, and that redemption would come through a redeemer, a messiah, a savior who who would save Israel and all people from their sins. And his name would be Jesus. Isaiah identifies some very unique characteristics about this promised redeemer and king named Jesus, and specifically in how this promised redeemer came into our world. First of all, we see that Jesus is who, when we ask the question, who is Jesus? We must understand that Jesus, even as Indicated and described by Isaiah the prophet, Jesus is the eternal Son of God who came in humanity. Jesus is the eternal Son of God who came in to humanity. Look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 in your Bibles if they're still open. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Or in Hebrews chapter 2, for example, we also see that it says this, because God's children are human beings made flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh 
and blood. Paul the Apostle writes, But when when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. The point is this. This person, Jesus, which a lot of people have various ideas about, this person, Jesus, is the eternal Son of God who came in full humanity, just like you and like me, flesh and blood. But we also must understand, as Isaiah indicates in his prophecy, that Jesus is the eternal Son of God who also came in full deity. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world, John writes in one of his letters. In fact, even in his gospel, John writes this, and this is a passage you know all too well, right? For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, his only begotten son, into the world. Here's the point. The Son of God has always existed. We already talked, Pastor Mike talked about the the eternality of God, right? There never has been a time when God was not God has always been. You and I all have a beginning. All creation has a beginning. Everything that we can even fathom has a beginning except for God. And when we say God, we're referring to the Godhead, which I don't have time to preach on this morning right now, but we're talking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You see, the Son of God has eternally existed with, within the Godhead. So what we must understand is that the Son of God who eternally existed in the Godhead clothed himself with a human body and his name became Jesus. It's interesting, and this is a whole other trabbit trail that I'm just going like, to plant a seed and then leave, and you can just let it percolate for a while. But the Godhead actually changed. The eternal Godhead actually changed. When Jesus clothed himself with a human body, He is forever clothed with an eternal human body. Whereas once the eternal Son of God did not have a body, now forevermore Jesus, the Son of God, has an eternal body like you and me. We will eternally be in a relationship with Jesus, King Jesus. And not just some spiritual being, but with Jesus clothed in human flesh. John Phillips writes this, He says, the great mystery of the manger is that God should be able to translate deity into humanity. Think about that. That God can translate deity into humanity without disregarding any deity or distorting the humanity. It's pretty mind-blowing. It's not for us to fully understand. It's for us to fully accept and receive. You see, as, often, as oftentimes is the case, understanding something fully is not pre- prerequisite to believing and accepting. We're just called to accept some things, even though for eternity we will be kind of scratching the surface and understanding that. I love what one other uh, commentator, he wrote it this way. He says, Jesus is the only one born with no earthly father but an earthly mother. And he had no heavenly mother, but a heavenly father. He was older than his mother, and yet was as old as his father. So he's kind of a unique person, right? 
He's not like you and me. That's, an, that's also another very, very profound theological understanding. He is not like you and me. On one hand, he is, and on the other hand, he's very much not like us. But the question I think that always that is good to ask and that we ought to be asking constantly is, what is Jesus like? How are we to understand who Jesus is? And it's interesting when you look at the, 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 the expanse of Scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelation, there are over 250 names and titles attributed to this person named Jesus. And Isaiah the prophet gives us four. He gives us four names and also titles and functions about who this person Jesus is. He is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. It's interesting to note also that each of these names has a function tied to it as well. It's not just a name, Bob. It, uh, if you're Bob in here, I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. But um, it's not just a name with no uh, implication, but it's wonderful counsel. There's a, an, uh, an eternal function that goes along with his eternal name. And over the next few weeks, you and I are gonna, we're gonna walk through uh, and unpack each of these names uh, of God that Isaiah the prophet gives for us as a way of helping us anticipate, though we on the redemptive side of history are looking back. Everybody in Isaiah's time is looking ahead and waiting. We're looking back going, oh, this is who that promised one is. This is who, that one who came 2,000 years ago. And this morning, we're going to unpack the meaning and the significance of King Jesus as wonderful counselor. What does wonderful counselor mean? It's interesting to know that in some of your translations, uh, especially if you're a uh, Depending on the translation you are opening right now or turned on right now, I know my father like reads from the King James Version. His is going to read differently. It's going to be wonderful, comma, counselor, comma, and then mighty God, everlasting father. So not all translations are consistent necessarily, but um, my translation puts wonderful and counselor together, and that's the right translation, and so that's the one we're going to read preaching from. So <laughs> just kidding, Dad. <laughs> No, there, there is some discrepancy, and it doesn't matter. In the, Hebrew, in the original language of Hebrew, there isn't commas and, and all that punctuation, and so it is a, a scholarly and translational kind of a challenge. And, uh, but for the sake of argument, we're going to go from what my translation, the ESV, says, and that is wonderful counselor is put together. So it's kind of the adjective as well as a, a title or name that is sandwiched together. What in the world does wonderful even mean? You know, especially within the English language, I'm not sure how other languages and nations do this as often, but we love to throw language out and we use it oftentimes in a non-literal sense, right? We refer to language all the time and in various ways. You know, remember it used to be bad, used to be cool, right? That's bad. You know, no one uses that anymore, but my generation did uh, for a while. Um, that bad used to be cool and ill used to be cool. It's so interesting how the opposite term turned out to be like cool, really good terms or something, you know, and so we flip-flopped all the time. It's not what it means literally, but we use language all the time. We throw things out and we say things like, that's awesome, that's so cool, that's whatever, and, and 
everybody has a slightly different definition. Of course, I don't even understand all the acronyms that are being thrown out and tweeted out and texted out even more. But um, the fact is we all refer to language in a variety of ways. The question is, how does the Hebrew language refer to and define this word wonderful? We might use the word wonderful in our vocabulary, but maybe not in the same sense that the Scripture uses wonderful. Well, it's interesting, in the Hebrew language of which Isaiah's prophecy is written, wonderful means extraordinary. It means unusually good. It means to to be better than what anyone else could do. So in the, in the Hebrew language, when, you, when the word wonderful, Pele, is used, I'm going to look at Pastor Corey Durbin right now, throwing out a little Hebrew because he's in Hebrew right now and, and has been in, in, engrossed in Hebrew for a long time. He's our local Hebrew scholar right now. Um, but this word for Hebrew, Pele, is, it's actually it, it's, it's referring to something that is extraordinary and uh, better than what anybody else can do and unusually good. In fact, for an example, in the, the book of Job, we see that God is the one who does great things, unfathomable things, and wondrous works without number. So there's that word, wondrous works, or wonderful. It's interesting to note when you think about the, every single time this word is used in Scripture, that it always refers to who God is and what he has done, and never to who man is and what man has done. There are other words that the Scripture uses to refer to maybe great feats that people were able to accomplish. But when we talk about what God is or who God is and what he has done, this word is reserved for God. So we're not talking about, oh, that's cool. But it's like, no, this is wonderful. And no person has done wonderful things like God has done. Are you guys kind of grasping the the significance or the uniqueness of that word? Well, then we also have that Jesus is a wonderful counselor. A counselor means to give advice. It means to to guide. Now, you and I probably in our current, in in our climate today, we have a, a certain mental image of a counselor that is someone who gets paid to listen to us and to give helpful advice to us in response, right? Or we might think of a, you know, a psychiatrist who asks us to lay down on their nice leather couch or pillow and ask the question, how does that make you feel? And then they wake us up because we're sleeping and we continue the conversation. So we have all, we, we, in our day and age, we, we, this is one of the things we have to be kind of aware of when we approach the scripture we all, almost always, and it's normal, so don't feel bad for doing this, we almost always approach Scripture like this. We open it up, and we think through our 21st century Western lens, and we think of, oh, counselor, wonderful, but it's actually so much more. We have a certain image of what a counselor is, and the question is, is all counsel good? It is true that a counselor is someone who listens, ideally, and then speaks into our current situation, but it doesn't always mean that every 
Every kind of counsel and every tip or advice is good or beneficial or even true. I can't take credit for this, but I read it in my reading. Um, Someone said this, It's been said that a counselor is someone who will help you organize your hang-ups so that you can be unhappy more efficiently. If you're a counselor in here, I'm uh, not trying to throw you under the bus here. Someone else said it this way. It was by a counselor that Adam and Eve fell into sin. Satan got Eve involved into psychoanalysis. She got Adam involved into group therapy. And together they plunged the whole world into insanity. (laughs) So... Again, my goal is not to necessarily uh, undermine the role and the value of counseling. In fact, all of us, every single one of us, counselors are not just reserved for the people that got issues. We all got issues. (laughs) And if you don't, this is not the church for you because uh, you need to go somewhere where they don't have issues, and I don't know where they exist. But, um, But we all have need for counsel in our lives, whether it be in a professional sense or just in a relational sense, counseling has its, has its place in our lives, but we also at the same time need to exercise caution because not all advice points us to Christ. Not all counsel brings clarity and closure to our crisis. Not all input benefits us spiritually and helps us listen to Jesus intently. Not all guidance leads us to obedience to what Jesus is asking us to do. In fact, it's not uncommon for people to counsel one another in a way that tells them what they want to hear, but not always what they need to hear. Or in the, in the flip side of the coin or in the kind of reverse roles, it's not uncommon for people to seek out counsel that they do want to hear, right? Again, as I even alluded to in the prophetic sense, Isaiah and Jeremiah and many of those prophets, they were not well-loved because most of the people did not want to receive, let alone listen to the message that they had for them. They didn't like him because it wasn't a message they wanted to hear. And so the, the, to, to be called by God to be a prophet of God was not a I've arrived situation. It wasn't like, oh, good, look how the Lord's using me. It was like, are you sure, Lord? Okay, my life of surrender has now begun. And whatever happens to me is between me, is between God and what he has assigned to me. But we can do the same thing. It's easy to surround ourselves with people that tell us what we want to hear, but not always what we need to hear. And if I could just give you a, just a, just kind of a little rabbit trail here. If I could just give you a piece of advice or counsel. If I could just let this kind of percolate for you. Let me just say this. Before you take the effort to talk with somebody else about whatever situation you are in, can you please talk to Jesus first? Before you make a post, before you send out that text, before you make that call, before you write that email, 
can you talk to Jesus first? And on, maybe on the heels of that, let me, just, let me just give you another piece of advice. And, I, and again, I'm not launching here on you. I'm not trying to point the finger necessarily or whatever it may be. I'm just, as we're thinking about counseling, the wonderful counsel, there, we live in a world of terrible counsel where we have to be able to kind of read between the lines, right? We have to wade through and ask the question and discern through what is actually of God and what is actually just of this world, and not helpful to me or beneficial to me at all. So here, let me just say this. It doesn't mean that you can't talk to people. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't confide in people and ask people and invite people into our struggle, into our pain. We ought to be that way with one another. The body takes care of the body, right? That's one of our mantras here at IBC. Where the body takes care of the body in a holistic way. But that being said, when someone says something to you that is hurtful, or that angers you, or that's frustrating, or that's confusing to you, or whatever it may be, let me just say this. Only make the circle of trusted advisors as big as it needs to be. And then make sure to include only those who will represent Jesus to you. Sometimes your best friend is not the best counselor. Sometimes... The people closest to you are not always the people that are going to represent Jesus to you. It doesn't mean that they may not have a part to play, but we, we need to be guarded and discerning about who we receive counsel from because here's the thing, brothers and sisters, in the midst of all the counsel we might receive, there's a lot of horrible counseling and advice and guidance, and it may not lead us in a path to be further obedient to Jesus. After all, as Peter so proudly and boldly proclaims, Jesus has the words of eternal life. You see, in the midst of a world where maybe we might be inundated with all kinds of horrible counseling, and, and, and there's good counseling as well, and so we have to kind of wade through it, and how are we to know? And of course, we have the scriptures to help us discern that. In the end, our greatest need is to hear from God. You see, Jesus is wonderful counselor, meaning that Jesus actually has something eternally beneficial to say to you in every circumstance you find yourself in. Think about that. No matter what situation you are in, no matter what your circumstances in you are in right now, no matter what you are processing and going through right now, Jesus has something to say to you. He's not silent. The real question is, are we listening? Jesus knows the best course of action when we find ourselves in a decision dilemma. Jesus knows how we should respond to that difficult situation. He knows how to, how, what we ought to say in response to that hurtful comment. Jesus has real good, really good advice for you to convey to your teenage son and daughter. I don't. He does. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1. In speaking or in reference to Jesus, Jesus is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Of God. And that's why you and I, 
when we think about this question, who is Jesus? Among the hundreds of titles and names that Scripture describes him as, one of the names attributed to Jesus is he is wonderful counselor. He says in Matthew 11, and he beckons us that we might come eagerly when he says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy with burden, and I will give you rest. Rest for your body, rest for your mind, and rest for your soul. The question is, are you listening? Are you listening to the one who has words of eternal life? Are you listening to the one who knows everything about your life and understands your situation even though you're confused? Are you listening to what he has to say to you? Worship team, you can come on up here. So I asked this question at the very beginning. Who was the promised Messiah as told through the prophet Isaiah? Who is this Jesus who came to earth some 2,000 years ago? Well, one thing we do know for certain is that he is a wonderful counselor. And he's not just a wonderful counselor. He is our wonderful counselor. He is your wonderful counselor. I love the language that, that the Isaiah the prophet uses. He says to us, for unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. You, you're catching the language of that? It's not he just arrived on the scene as sometimes we kind of think about it. He says God sent his son to us on a divine rescue mission. And so my prayer for you and I this Advent season as we embark on a whole month long of of thinking and preparing and planning and celebration, my prayer for you this Advent season is that you would heed the counsel of the one who knows everything about you. That you would be encouraged by the one who can sympathize with all your weaknesses. That you would see this baby who was born to Joseph and to Mary some 2,000 years ago as not just a mere baby boy, but God incarnate. The God who loved you so much that he clothed himself with a human body so that he could take on the punishment for our sin. You see, brothers and sisters, when we celebrate the birth of this God-man, this person, the Son of God, named Jesus, we are able to celebrate his birth most fully when we view his birth through the lens of a cross. He is wonderful counselor, but he came on a divine rescue mission. And he came to save us from our sins. And so Advent... And Christmas only makes sense when we celebrate both the baby and his cross.